what I would put on my tombstone is what I would tell them. And it's the advice I've given to myself and given to my children and given anybody who will listen. And that is, nothing is about today. Everything is about tomorrow. This is Wisdom on Trial, impacting your life and law practice. You've had so much talent um, that you've worked with. You know, I, I won't go through all the names, but a lot of really talented lawyers. You uh, you hire a lot. Um, you, you're some, you think of 500 lawyers and some of the different people. For, for those that lead a law firm, okay, or they're, they're growing a young law firm, what are some of the things that you've seen in all of the young talent over the years where you're looking for this, and that's a good sign that that's good stock, that's good DNA, that's a good bet on that lawyer? Well, there are two types of people. There, 99% of the people have a satiable appetite enough is enough and there's a few that rare breed who have an insatiable appetite and no matter how much they have they want more I'm looking for the person with the insatiable appetite whether it's about making money or winning or recognition how do you pick that out like well what, some, what? sometimes you can see it midstream I mean look lots of the, the advantage we have we get to see who's out there yes there's a lot of young lawyers who we run into in trial and go you know what that's a good lawyer. That's a good lawyer. That's a good lawyer. We want that lawyer. We get, you get to see them. You get to see the ones that are yes. fumbling, and you get to see the ones that are smooth. But what I believe is this, is I want to always hire people better than me, and I want to hire people, I want to hire A's. Where companies and firms go bad is the leader doesn't ever want to hire somebody that is better than them. And what happens in companies and firms is A's hire B's, and then the B's hire C's, and then the C's get D's, and all of a sudden you get this bullshit organization. I want everybody to be challenged. In our firm, it's there's so many great lawyers. I mean, last week we got like six verdicts all over the place, and it's a competition because everybody wants to be the one. You create a lot, it seems like, you create a lot of competition internally. Yes, and we post it all. We post fees. We post verdicts. We have leaderboards about everything. We have the winners and we have the losers. We have first place and we have second place. And you're the number one lawyer and you're the last lawyer. And we post it on a monthly basis, on an ongoing basis. What do the lawyers think of that? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care because if you want to win, you want that. Hmm. You know, Adolph Rao grew up in Kentucky and, you know, somebody said it's just a game. And he said, well, then then why do we keep score? How would you? What? How many people would go to see a sporting event if we didn't keep score? All I'm doing is keeping score. I don't want to play a game where there's no score and there's no winners or losers. And I certainly don't want to watch a game where there's no score. I, I want to watch death matches. I want to watch overtime. I want to watch that game. I don't want to watch a game without a scoreboard. Let's move to uh, firing. What advice would you give on firing? It's the what I call the uh, Jeremy Foley advice. What you know must be done someday. Do today. It never it, it, it never gets better. It never gets better. When you know, you know, and you can wait, 
And wait, all waiting does is make it way more difficult. What I'd rather do and what I do do and I have done is I'd rather, once I know it, I would rather pay somebody to leave. I've paid people. I went up, you know, I've had lawyers. I said, listen, this isn't working. I've paid people a year salary. I paid a guy one time he was making. I said, look, I'm going to give you, it was like 350000 for the year. But I worried about him. I said, but, you know, I'll, you know I'm, I'm going to pay you to leave. Because once you know, every minute is a mistake. And you're better. And I always, when I pay them to leave, I'll say, listen, and you don't really have to leave. Just pretend that you're leaving because you don't like me. Yeah. It's easier to get a job with a job. So I'm always very generous with severance. I don't necessarily tell them that they've been fired. I let them go out and tell people. You know, my dad got fired a lot in my life, and so that's a scarring part of my life. And I know what it's like to go home and tell the family and have that upheaval. So I've spent a lot of money in severance and paying people and not cutting off their health benefits just really because of my own scarring. But, but look, you're not doing yourself a favor. You're not doing them a favor to keep them around. Let me uh, flip the script to money, um, which is something rarely uh, are people asking other people, what do you think about money? But when I, when I talked to Mitnick, one of the uh, things when I, I said, what advice do you have on money? He said, uh, find someone. If you're not good with money, he said, find someone who is, and then take your train and fasten it to their train and don't let go. And he was referring to you. So what I'd like to do is give you three groups of people. And if you were to just give some money wisdom to the group, let's start with young lawyers very early on in their career. If you could speak some wisdom on how to see money. I'd say to them, before you invest any money in anything, pay off your credit cards, pay off your cars, pay off your home. Once you have done that, start investing. And the way I would tell them to invest is whatever their age is, that should be in, in stocks. And the, so if you're, if, you're, if you're 20 years old, you know, you should have 20% bonds and 80% stocks. And as you get older, you start to move from equities to bonds and take the take the risk out. But I'm, so, so would that hold true if you're I'm 49? I, I, I feel like I'm 40, but I'm 49. So 49% bonds, you would say? Minimum. Minimum. Let's talk about a second uh, group, the, the lawyer who first makes some money. You know, you know that first time a lawyer realizes uh, they they've what they perceive to be they've had a year where they've got the biggest bonus they couldn't even imagine. What advice would you give to them? Well, I would say first of all, I would tell them to read the book The Millionaire Next Door, and they will find that the millionaire next door is basically someone who has never been divorced. If you want to not be a millionaire, get divorced and cut it in half. If you really want to be a non-millionaire, get divorced twice and cut it in half without prenups. So what I would say to that person is don't go out and buy material things that are non-asset producing. Don't. Boats. No. I'm not a boat. I mean, but people go out and buy boats. I don't get it. 
I mean, not the big boats. And I would tell them to that that day, that this day that you made all this money, may be the last day you make all this money. And until you get to your house paid off with ten million dollars in the bank, pretend like you have no money, and just build to that ten million dollar day. <laughs> and then once you get to that ten, when you get to the ten million dollar day, well, you got ten million. Then, then buy the boat. But there's too many people that buy the boat on credit. You know, when you're buying boats and making payments, you don't deserve to be in that boat, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, it's funny, I, I always had, there was a car that in my mind, it was like, until I've, quote, made it. You can't drive an S-Class Mercedes. That's the car my dad drove. You, you, you earn the right to drive an S-Class Mercedes. So we all have something that we've kind of put in our head. There's, yeah. you, you got to earn and then you the can right drive it, But then you can drive that kind of car for six or seven years. Yeah, they're great vehicles. So. Yeah. Okay, some lighter stuff. Okay. You listen to any podcasts? I haven't really, but I'm, i got to start doing it. I, I mean... You don't have to. I want to I I listen to that guy that, uh, that wrote... Uh, uh, what's Malcolm Gladwell? They say he's got a tremendous podcast. It's very good. It's very good. I want to go see him. And the people yes. from iHeart are trying to get revisionist me history is yeah. Malcolm Gladwell's. Yeah. It's very. It's it's interesting. It's light. It's you know got some. So you've been approached about potentially doing a podcast. iHeart. Uh, Linda Bird runs the iHeart for the Southeast, and she came here with a guy. They bought his. They bought his podcast business. iHeart did. And iHeart would like me to do a podcast. And, you know, it's just a matter of do I have the time to do it? And what would I talk about? Whatever you want. Yeah, so I, that's, that's, the, that's the deal. I've got to figure out. What's the, what's the most impactful technology in your life under $500? Under $500? I guess a f- iPhone's, is iPhone $500? What's that cost? I have no idea. I have no idea if it's if but it's it's indispensable. If an iPhone is under five hundred, I mean, I'd rather not live than not have an iPhone. Any apps that you love? That's like uh, you're like I don't know how people function without this app. That's uh, different. Just my you know my news apps and things like that. Yes. Uh, okay, you've written two books. Uh, you can't teach hungry and you can't teach vision. Another book on the radar. The the other book that I have on the radar. Is, is it's what I believe fully is that we all believe, especially when we're successful, that we are just this great person. This is fantastic, smart, unbelievable person. And, and, maybe, and maybe they are, but the truth is life is luck. 99% of everything that we have comes from luck. What does that mean? I don't know what your father did, but I think you said you were, we were talking about him. He was a, he was a businessman okay. who got lucky. He hit perfect time. But he's also had a genetic makeup that he passed on to you. Yes. Don't forget genetics. Don't forget genetics. Just First of all, life starts at conception. But the odds of being born is like, you know, 10 trillion to one for that one sperm to meet with that egg and then come to this. It's like trillions to one. 
And then you were born, and then you were born in America instead of the Congo, instead of Beijing. That was lucky. Then if early in life, you were born as a man instead of a woman. Now you get the advantage. Look at the disparity in men and women. You're born in this state instead of that state. And as you go through life, almost everything that happens is genetic. There's a genetic component, you know. You're a dumb, you're a lion, you're a sloth. And even they say, well, you know, you worked hard. But there's a lot of people that just can't work. Sloths cannot work. Sloths are just born lazy. And there are human sloths. And it's not their fault. And there's lions that are born that are really not that, you know, uh, you know great, but they are, look like a lion and they scare the hell out of everybody. And we give the lion what they want just because they look like a lion. And what I think is you go through life, you go to left turns and right turns, and you'll find almost, if you did it again, this, this, I'm never sitting here, this is, I don't have this again. Because if I go one, one turn different, it's all over. I decided to go to Mass one day at the University of Florida to clear my head, and I saw the girl of my dreams and I don't go to Mass. I'm not a go-to-Mass day, everyday guy very seldom, but I went on that Wednesday. I looked ahead of me, and I saw the greatest ass and set of legs I've ever seen in my life. And then she turned the corner, and I saw the face, and I'm like, holy cow. And I'm not a guy that goes up to people and says, hey, can I meet you? But I did with her. If I don't go to Mass that day, I don't meet her. I don't have these four kids. I don't have this life. But somehow I went to Mass that day. The truth of it all is life is luck, and we win the ovarian lottery, Warren Buffett calls it. But then we spend the rest of our life saying, look what we did, look what we did, look, look how great we are. And the truth is 99% of what we have. So the book I have in my mind is to say, you know, life is luck, and the luckier you get, the really the more you owe society and the world to thank them, to thank your whoever gave you this whether it's God or nature because it's really not us some people are funny some people are not funny you can't teach funny either why do they make them fun I don't know and so the book I have in my mind is to talk about that I can tell about a person the book I was going to write was where this book comes from I was going to write a book called The Paper Boy. And anytime I've met a successful older guy my age, and I'll say to them, were you a paper boy? They go, yeah, I was. Why? There was something about the paper boy. There was something about those boys that got up and had a paper route. Every single day you had a paper route. I find that most successful people were born with this gene, and they were paper boys mm. or had another money money business i bet you had something you, you, you know the modern day paper boys they sell those cut code knives if you look at so many successful entrepreneurs at one point they were cut code well knives now they're selling them. apps yes yes the paper boy today one of the reasons that i believe newspapers have declined is because i used to go door to door selling the papers and they bought it because it was johnny we're not we're not just calling in but if i guarantee you if you turned a, a, a if you turned a a group of paper boys loose in America with the Orlando Sentinel, circulation would go up. You know why? You don't really care about the paper, but you like that that kid standing there, mm. and he's gonna come here every day and deliver yes. it. But there's something about the paper boy that he was born 
with that drive, with that gene, with what, something. Because a paper route, you have to get up every day in the rain, in the snow, and whatever, and you had to do it. But they did it. What, what, uh, what books, when you're... Uh, Giveaway. What are the books that in your lifetime you're like? These are just books every every lawyer should read. Every businessman. What are some of those books? Well, I mean, I like so many. I mean, I, I like. Uh, there's a book by Phil Knight called Shoe Dog. It's a good book. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's just you know he was the paper. He's the paper boy. He 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 was selling shoes instead of paper. This guy was driven. You know, all these books. There was, I just read a book called Trillion Dollar Coach, Bill Campbell, that, 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 that he's a, a mentor to everybody in Silicon Valley. There's so many, you know, there's so many books, the Malcolm Gladwell books. Uh, I, I've read so many books about successful people. But at the end of the day, there's, a, there's just a real common thread. And their answer to every problem which is to work harder. No matter what book you read, the, the, the punchline is, and so I worked harder. And so I no worked harder. No one wants to hear that. You know, it's a, my, well, my partner always says, everybody wants to be skinny and rich, but so few people are willing <laughs> to do the work that it takes for us. They don't. But, 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 you know, I watched a thing, if, I would advise people to watch on Netflix called Bill's Brain. Yes about Bill Gates and he's invented this this way to, to harness carbon emissions and with nuclear reactors and 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 then they he got, he got disappointed and the guy at the end because the Trump embargo with China kind of squirreled the deal and the interviewer says to Bill Gates are on this walk they said well so what are you going to do and he looks at me and goes, so I keep working. That's good. The solution to everything is work. Um, this may not be the solution for the issue I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose to you, and it may be. Uh, we've seen people we know who've had a catastrophic meltdown in their life. Okay, I'm talking at one point they're flying high and the next thing you know they're literally in federal prison or they're they've died and they they've self-imploded okay they've self-imploded one of my great fears has always been one day i wake up and i'm 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 flying in this season of life and then i wake up and all of a sudden everybody knows i'm a fraud and i'm not you know it's this i don't want to self-implode desperately what what advice would you give to people to to avoid the catastrophic meltdown. I mean, I'm talking the... To their own personal life? Yes. Well, you know, drugs and booze will do it quicker than anything because once you do drugs and booze, it's not you anymore, it's somebody else. But addiction addiction is, you know, that's the wild card. And some people become more addicted, you know, easier than other people. Yes, yeah, some people can handle alcohol some cannot some people you know you you see these rock stars and they were like doing cocaine and heroin and all of a sudden at 70 they stopped and then janis joplin and Jimi hendrix you know died life is luck and so i, I would say that to avoid it all is 
you have to have perspective. What gets us all down is we're looking across the street and we see people that we think are doing so much better and that starts to drive us crazy. And we're starting to try to compete with them thinking that they're doing this, but they're not. They're not. And they're driving, a, they're driving a, a, a Ferrari and they got a hot chick and they have a penthouse office. And we're over here, you know, in this little bullshit building that I'm in right here looking out the window at it all and going, why, why has he got it? Why does he got it? And I don't. And now we're competing against somebody who's really not winning. And in social media, it's you're literally social media, you're looking at the highlight reel of someone's life. Social media, and then but then one day, they they come in and the IRS you know tapes up the building, and the the hooker leaves, and they repossess the Ferrari. And the thing that drove you crazy was competition that really wasn't competition. I think what you got to do is focus on what you do and what you can control. And don't think about competition that you don't know anything about. The meltdown, listen, if you're not, if you're not having those dreams, you're not a normal person. I, I have a recurring dream where I have discovered that I did not actually have enough credits to graduate from law school. And so... As John Morgan, I have gone back to law school, but I'm up there and I don't tell people I don't have enough credits because I don't want to be found out and I don't want the Florida Bar to then rescind my ticket and I don't want to lose all this. So I'm back in Gainesville and I'm in law school and I actually get an apartment. I'm living in Gainesville. My, every, all this is still going on down here, but I'm up in law school and I'm going to class just pretending that I just want to go to these classes. But what I'm really going to do is to get the credits to graduate, and then during the le the dream, uh, I start fucking off, and I don't go to class up there, and then mid then I get to exams. How many times have you had this dream? I'd say forty, and, and then it's time to it's time to go take the exam, and then I go in my dream. I go I can't I don't even know where the classroom is, because I haven't been to class, and then I decide they're not going to find out I don't have the credits, and then I drive home. And say, okay, forget that. The fear, that fear, is that fear that that you're talking about, is the fuel that drives you. That fear of of losing the car, of losing your your bank account, your savings, your house. That that fear is, and and, and very rich people have that fear. So I, I don't want to leave here without talking about. Uh, your software, the uh, the Litify software. I went to the LitaQuest conference. Without spending a lot of time, people can check it out online and type in Litify and see what it's like. But but the concept that really uh, struck me out of the way that you've designed the software and an amazing story with Ruven Moskovitz and how you've you know connected with someone who's clearly brilliant. Um, is 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 looking at technology, and and so a couple of the things that I took out of it, I'd love just for you to expand on was um, looking at how technology can actually um, appreciably impact 
your life. And what I loved was you said, listen, the, the end goal is if we're doing this better, what it means is it's better for the client. And if it's better for the client, it's better for the law firm. And if it's better for the law firm, it's better for my ability to provide a high quality life for my family. Um, so that was a, t- a takeaway. But but give us kind of just the, the broad brush over the concept that you're trying to tackle with the software. The broad brush of Litify is this. You have lawyers and law firms, but everybody is maybe doing it their own way. But what it would be like if you could have every lawyer in your firm handle every case exactly the way you would. That if in every case you would have on these certain cases a life care plan, if in these cases you would have a proposal for settlement, if in these cases that somebody struck their head, they'd be evaluated for TBI, if everything got to be done exactly the way David Paul would do, if you could somehow clone David Paul and put them in five offices in your building, think of what you could do if you could have five of you. Yeah, the trilogy I remember, just so you, you can, uh, which is to do it the right way, every day, my way. Every day, exactly. Yeah, I thought that was exactly. great. Exactly. So, so, so it's, it's to create what I hear is kind of repeatable success based upon a system. But then what the software does is it also gives the owner the ability to... Uh, transparency. Transparency. Explain that. You get to see it all. You get to see it all in a snapshot. You know, if every, I believe, for example, that every case, by and large, in Florida should have a proposal for settlement. Not all, but 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 I want to know. But if they don't, there's, then there needs to be an explanation why. You would be surprised at the law firms in this state where proposals for settlement are not even part of their business. They don't do them. So how does the software help? You get to look at it. So I looked. I, I get to look at. I get to look at when we audit people's inventories. We get to see that there's a certain date that there should be a proposal for settlement. If it's not there, there's a red flag, and we get to see it. And then we get to ask the question: Why is there not a proposal for settlement? Because if there's not a if there is no proposal for settlement, they got to explain why there's no proposal for settlement. So if there's not a proposal for settlement or an explanation for why, then that case cannot proceed. How, how do you deal with lawyers who don't want you in their grill like that? Okay, you deal with it just like this. I own the fucking firm. They hired me, not you. Go somewhere else. You're like, it's non-negotiable. We're, I'm not going to fuck my client over just so you can do what you want. I'm going to do it my way every day, my way. Yeah, that's good. Um, but you can't – see, if you start doing that, not in my grill – then your client has just lost because they don't get to do it the David Paul way because you got somebody that's going to do it their way and they're not going to do a proposal for settlement and they're not going to do a life care plan. And, and to me, it's almost malpractice on your part to let somebody in your building who hired you have their case handled a different way than the David Paul way. Yeah, that's Because they hired you good. for a reason. Um, okay, I got a few more areas. You've had an ability to kind of, you you try to see what's coming down the pike in business and, and the practice of law. I think you've done a very good job of kind of looking with a, 
a, a lens that's longer term? 10 years, 20 years, what changes can you see that we need to be thinking about now because they're going to be happening? Well, I've been thinking about it for a long time, and I started thinking about it in 2009 when I realized that someday there's not going to be any automobile accidents. There's going to, you know, there's going to be driverless cars. That's going to happen. And so what I started to do is I started to build this firm for what I call the 21st century law firms. The law firm. What is a 21st century law firm? It is a law firm with no automobile accident cases. And so what I decided to do is to build new practice areas that had nothing to do with automobile accidents. So when you look at this firm today, we now have practice areas like this, social security, products liability. There may not be automobile accident cases, but there will be deaths in cars. Uh, we said to ourselves, since that's going to happen, let's start doing cases, premise cases only. These lawyers in our firm do nothing but premise liability. It gets worked up a whole different way. When the case gets to premise liability and with Litify, there's certain things they got to do right away. Because if when you get a premise case in and you don't get your burden of proof done that week, you that you might have to turn that case down. So we got premise liability. We have a, lay, a lay, wage and hour labor law section. We advertised for mesothelioma. We were handling it, but we decided we weren't competent, and we started referring it out, and we're actually making more money referring it out than we are doing it in-house because we had a bullshit guy doing it. We have a practice area called business trial group where we're doing commercial cases on a contingency. And we continue to look at these different areas of, of law. We did our budget meeting today, next year, and then, and then mass torts. And then class actions. I own class actions. I, I bumped into one of your lawyers, by the way, with your son when I was walking up, who heads your 1983 division, doing 1983 litigation. Just settled a case for four million bucks, 1983. So what was seemed like a sharp guy? Seemed hungry. It was a guy from Kentucky, yes. Adrian. Yeah, yes. he goes all over the country doing our 1983 stuff. So what I did is I built the 21st century law firm. That is a firm that has no automobile accident cases at all, zero. And by the way, when that happens, most of my competition is going to go away. Because this auto auto accidents is low. That's low hanging fruit. That's the one everybody wants. A lot of stuff I'm talking about is federal court. I mean, yes. Federal court eliminates eighty percent of the lawyers. Like products liability eliminates ninety nine percent. Federal court eliminates about eighty to eighty five percent. And probably should eliminate about ninety to ninety-five percent because it shouldn't be judge, taken lightly. If the federal judges had their way, they wouldn't have but about five well, percent of the lawyers over there. You might end up with your former fraternity brother, Judge Dalton. <laughs> let me tell you, he, oh, his, his patience would not be a strong suit. That does not go on there. But I, I walked in. Andrew was trying this case in front of Judge Dalton. I come in just to watch the jury picking. That's all I want to do. I know he's not going to be softer on Andrew because he sees me there and Skip likes me but I know this it's not like there'll be some real strategic advantage so I'm trying to be in the back I'm trying to get in I sit in there all I hear Skip say from the bench is I hear um, one of two things is happening here either somebody and I don't know who he's talking to us or the defense he says either somebody is completely incompetent in the manner in which they're producing legal work or somebody's intentionally misleading this court. 
Either way, I don't have time for either one. Bring the jury up. That's the first thing I hear when I walk in the courtroom. It's like, oh, God. Yeah, we've hired a lot of Byron and Dalton's law clerks because they don't suffer fools. Okay. Um, I, I ask the same questions to everybody that I've had the privilege of interviewing. And the first is, if you were to give some advice to a group of people that are, say, 25 to 35, it could be life advice, it could be career advice, it could be any kind of advice you want, 25 to 35, if you could speak one thing to them, what would it be? I would say that what I would put on my tombstone is what I would tell them. And it's the advice I've given to myself and given to my children and given anybody who will listen. And that is, nothing is about today. Everything is about tomorrow. Most people live in the today. Most people don't want to buy somebody a drink because they think, what, why, what am I going to get out of it? I'm going to buy this guy a drink. What am I going to get out of it? They want to, they want to be paid back right then and there. I bought, I've bought so many drinks in my life, but I'm, I, and I don't even know how it all worked out. I just know it worked out. That everything I do today, I'm not thinking about today. I'm thinking about tomorrow. Most people want immediate gratification. They want to do something. They want to get it now. But if you take the long view, if nothing's about today, if everything becomes about tomorrow, tomorrow is big and luscious. And then the other thing I would tell them along those lines is don't do anything to get something in return. Because when you go out to do something for to get something in return, you never get shit in return. But when you just go out there and do stuff and give stuff away and give your advice and you don't expect anything in return, it becomes more bountiful than anything you ever thought about. Yeah, that's so true. All right, second group of people. Um, they're a little bit older. They're established in their career. Uh, let's say they're 40 to 55. Um, but they've got lots of gas left. They're, they're, at, they're let's say, at halftime. Uh, what advice would you give to that group of people? My advice would be, are you where you want to be? Are you satisfied where you are? You still have enough time. You still have one last great fight in you. Don't languish because a lot of people languish. They're there and they're like, you know what? I'd say to them, don't languish because there's going to be nothing worse than when you get to be 65 and you retire from languish. <laughs> to languish. To languish. And then you spend the rest of time regretting never trying to get out of that circle of despair that it's never too late at that age it can become too late quickly i mean 55 may become too late but if i'm talking to a 40s year old people i would say look you still got 20 20 something that's a lot of life and and what happens with and the reason most lawyers are not satisfied is they have been languishing in a place they don't want to be their whole career I will remember that saying they go from languishing for many years to now be retired only to languish. It sounds, I mean, it literally sounds yeah. horrible. That's And to think about everything you didn't do. Yes. To think about all the visions well, that, that well, never came to let's be. Let's talk about you and we'll kind of end here. Okay. 
in this season where um, you're not struggling for cash and you're not struggling for your family, you practice with your boys every day and your daughter is involved, you really, like, you're living an incredible life. And what's driving you in this season? Well, in this season where I have so many key people that I rely on, that I'm able to I'm able to run this business from wherever I am. I don't have to be here. I can ruthlessly delegate. And you know, I'm not I'm I'm I've made all the money that I need to make. I mean, the money we're making now is going into this foundation that will will leave will leave behind the kids are going to get theirs and everything now is going into this foundation. <clears throat> so I'm not working for money and so when yeah, I, that's that's actually good that's very good advice so what's driving you right now what's driving because, me is, because in, from an outside looking in while you do vacation and you seem to be living a great life you're also you're you're not languishing you are actively no i have i'm getting to do what i want i what's driving me now is i, I really want to raise the minimum wage for people in florida i think it's a travesty that people work their asses off and live in poverty. And, you know, I pay all my people $15 an hour in all my businesses. And, you know, it costs me, I mean, the, the when I did it in Florida, when I when I raised minimum wage to Morgan & Morgan, it was like, it cost me like four and a half million dollars to do that. And really more, because other people had to get raised too. But, you know, it, it, the people were crying. People were sobbing when they got their raise. When they when the, we told them what was going to happen, it was you know life altering. You wouldn't think it, but for some people, it was a fifty, sixty percent increase in pay. So I want to do that in Florida. I still have these things inside of my head. I still have the book. I still have the the two attractions that that I'm going to you know IAPA's here this week. So I'm. I'll be in my attraction businesses t uh, tomorrow night. I'll be walking the floor of IAPA. And and then I look at it all and I say, well, I've almost, I used to have this file cabinet with all these different attractions and books and the Google law firm that I talked about, but I've about done it all. And the good thing is, you know, you, you go from success to significance and you now know that the end is going to happen. Your friends are dying. You have health things. You're like, oh my God, there's, you know, your friends are having health things. And you know that there is going to be an end. And it's, it's either going to be all black or it's going to be, you're going to have a meeting with God. And I am going to live my life as if I'm going to have a meeting with God. I want to be able to, you know, I want to be able to make my case uh, for why I want in. <laughs> you need Mitnick to argue that. You yeah. no one, no. You need Mitnick to go before you, and you need to, you need him to be your lawyer in that. I one. want, I want to, I want my life's work. I mean, the good, the thing I like about it is, you, if you're sorry, it's forgiven. I, that's very lucky for me. Yes. That that promise. The promise of grace is engaging. Unbelievable. It's a, that's a very good promise for me. I, I do want to cover the minimum wage just before. Let's say somebody hears this and they are they want to do something. They they don't want to 
just hear the vision they want to be part of a, a vision maker on the minimum wage issue how do they get engaged well luckily i've already spent you know four million dollars to get the signature. i've got my signatures i've got my language i got my number on the ballot i'm number two which i was that's what i was for for marijuana and uh, i think as we get closer to it we'll be asking people you know unions and people who who believe that this see I, I don't believe it's a political issue i believe it's a moral issue I, I believe it's immoral not to pay people a living wage I, I believe it's i believe it's immoral i believe it's it's sort of a form of slavery and you know we built this country and we like slaves we built this country the south on slaves we went to war so we could own people I've got a wage in our division here. You know, people are being cheated out of their wages every single day. They're doing everything right, and they're not even being paid their minimum wage or got to get their right tips or getting their double time or triple time or time and a half. They're getting cheated every single day, and they don't want to pay them. They don't even want to pay them that. And so I don't think it's a political issue. I think it's a moral issue. You know, I tell, I've told my wife this will be my last public crusade for something like this uh, but I think we'll, we'll be taking money for you know the Southern Poverty Center gave me $250,000 a few weeks ago and I expect groups like that I'll be asking people I'm gonna ask unions to help me because there are the Chamber of Commerce they're gonna fight me hard on this because yes. they don't want you know when I worked at Disney you know we got paid like I don't know, four dollars an hour or something, but tickets were three twenty-five. Now they're making eight dollars and five cents, and tickets are to one hundred and ten dollars. And they're like, "Oh, prices are going to go up if we raise the minimum wage. The prices are going to go up." They went up. The tickets at Disney are a hundred, and nobody that's the working poor can't go out there. Yeah, that's good. That's a great issue to to take on. That to end on. Yeah, it is. It is. That'll be that'll be a mic a mic drop. There you go. Yeah. John, I can't tell you, uh, you poured out a lot. Uh, I may cut this into two, by the way, <laughs> okay. two episodes, but uh, I really am thankful for your generosity with me today. Um, and I don't feel like you held back. I felt like you had zero agenda other than promoting your law firm, but I wouldn't expect anything different. And uh, The only thing I didn't say that I would like to say, yes, that I think the main thing I should have said at the beginning and the end is this. If you've been injured in an automobile accident, hurt on the job, or the victim of medical malpractice, call Morgan & Morgan, always fighting for the people. And we'll end on that. That's the mic drop. <laughs>